I know that you guys uh, kept complaining that I never gave out any candy for the questions. And so I'm still not going to. This is just an empty bowl. It's just an empty bowl. <laughs> just wanted to mess with you guys. I literally was scouring for this bowl for like five minutes just to do that. Um, <laughs> you guys shouldn't have to depend on candy to answer questions. That's all I want to say. That's all I want to say. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> all right. Well, um, if you didn't hear everybody booing my name just now, my name is Sterling. Uh, I'm the male youth associate here on staff. And as always, it is just such a pleasure to be with all of you. Um, I was just talking to an old friend of mine the other day and you know, just giving him life updates and telling him about my new job and everything. And I've just really been blessed that I have the opportunity to come and serve you guys every single week. Um, I appreciate all of you, and uh, I'm just really grateful to be here. Uh, but as you know, or as you may not know if you haven't been here, uh, we've been going through a series on the book of Judges called Who Are You Following?, um, and kind of our theme verse for that, for this series has been Judges 21, 25. And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, so today we're just going to get a little bit more into the book of Judges. We're going to be talking about um, a judge named Gideon. Um, I don't know if any of you guys watch Gravity Falls, but not that Gideon, not little Gideon. <laughs> um, but we're going to be talking about a, judges, a judge named Gideon. Um, and so, yeah, let's just go ahead. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to dive right into the Word. So, Father God, just what an awesome gift it is to be in your presence. Father, what a, what, what a wonderful thing it is to be amongst other believers and friends and just brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I give you honor, glory, and praise for who you are. Thank you for bringing everybody here today to hear your Word. God, thank you for uh, helping me to prepare this message to deliver to your children. Uh, Father, I just pray that uh, as you work through me this morning, uh, that, uh, that the word is received well. I pray for the congregation, Lord, that you just open up their hearts so that they're able to receive it well. Uh, Father God, I just give you all blessings, glory, and honor. Oh, and also we just pray for Christina as she's sick this morning, Lord. I just pray that you just heal her, heal her and you comfort her. Uh, we also pray for Lee as he uh, returns from his vacation tomorrow, that he'll just be back and ready to serve. In your mighty name we pray, amen. All right, so um, I've got to be honest with you guys. I'm a little bit disappointed today. Uh, and the reason I'm disappointed, and it's going to sound bad, but I'm disappointed because my parents are here and they're in the back right there. <laughs> and now listen, yeah, you can clap for them. You can clap for them. <laughs> now let me tell you why I'm disappointed because I'm about to tell a story about my dad and about how he's wise. And I know that every time I question him from now on, he's going to bring this story up. So that's why I'm a little bit disappointed today, um, but just, just getting into it. Uh, so like I said, uh, I'm going to talk a bit about my dad today. Um, and just quite often in life, you know, I'll go to my mom or my dad. Um, a lot of times my dad, uh, just with some life advice, you know, because they're a little bit older than I am, a little bit wiser, um, and his hair is a little bit more gray as well. 
Um, and so sometimes when I'm asking my dad for advice, I'll find myself in the position where I don't think that what he's saying makes absolutely any sense, right? So he'll give me advice and I'll kind of be like, uh, you know, not quite sure what you're talking about there. Um, but my dad will always reassure me right now. Let me just say, I've seen this man be wrong before. Um, I've definitely seen him be wrong before, but he is usually right. You hear that guys? Your parents are usually right. Okay. Listen to them. (laughs) Um, but anyways, (laughs) I have a time that I can think back on, uh, where I was, where I was applying for a job and I went to my dad and I told him, Hey, they offered me this amount, but I kind of need this amount, you know? And, uh, my dad says that I should just write back exactly what he told me to. You know, and what he told me, you know, it wasn't anything bad or anything, but I was just kind of like, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I can say that. Um, and let's just say that as a, as a 62 year old man, he has a little bit more confidence and also boldness than I have as a 23 year old. <laughs> um, and so, you know, my dad said, uh, he reassured me and to my surprise, the response that I got back from the employer was positive, you know? And so that was really good. And so I went back to my dad again, and I was like, okay, they responded like this. Now what do I say? And he said, all right, say this. And once again, I'm kind of like, ah, (laughs) you know, just doubting him again and again, even though he's just proven himself over and over again, constantly throughout my life. Uh, But still, you know, I'm just like, dad, can you just explain this a little bit, right? And so he explains again, and he reassures me. Still doesn't make much sense to me, but uh, I end up doing what he says anyways because he's my dad, and like I said, he's usually, not always, right. Um, And uh, I end up doing what he said, and to my surprise, I get another positive response. Now, we're in the final stretch of the negotiation here with the job offer, and my dad says, okay, say this. And I'm just like, Ah, once again, just questioning him uh, and questioning uh, his wisdom again. And you know what he says this time? He says, fine, you want to doubt me? Go out, do it on your own. I don't have the patience for this. You've seen me write a thousand times, but you want to continue doubting me? I have four other kids that I can go on and advise. Do you guys think my dad really said that? No, he didn't say that. (laughs) He didn't say that, but rather he sat there and he had patience with me, right? (laughs) He he was extremely patient and extremely gracious throughout all the times that I continued doubting him because he's my dad and because he loves me, right? And so we're going to see a similar situation happen here as we hop into Judges and as we read about Gideon. Uh, We're just going to see the Lord's patience with Gideon. And trust me, if you guys don't know this story, as we hop into it, you're going to get a little bit frustrated. I was getting frustrated. I was writing this message. I had to take a few breaks and remember uh, to calm down. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, now we have a lot of text to cover. So I'm just going to summarize a few things here and there. Um, but like I said, we've been in the book of Judges and you guys know the cycle. Um, so the Israelites either reject or they forget God. Then they enter into a time of oppression. Then they repent or they cry out to God. Then God provides a judge to save them, and then there's a period of rest. Um, I know that last time I didn't do a circle because I didn't know how, and I still don't know how. I got this one off of Google. Um, (laughs) But um, so this chapter, though, it just starts off with the Israelites, and they're rejecting God once again, and they're getting oppressed. Um, Or rather, this time they're they're forgetting God more than rejecting him. Um, But you know what? It goes hand in hand. Um, And so they're getting oppressed. 
In fact, chapter 6, verse 1 says that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, because this oppression was so strong, the Israelites, they had to take shelter in these caves and these strongholds just to uh, avoid the Midianites. But whenever they tried to farm their crops or plant, uh, or whenever they tried to farm or plant their crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites would invade the country and ruin their crops, right? Uh, They would camp on the land just to destroy it. They would literally just be waiting there and wait just to destroy the crops of the Israelites. Verse 5 says it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Then in verse 6 is where we see the cycle continues, and they finally cry out to God again. It says that Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, we shouldn't be in shock here, right? This is the same cycle that we've been going through for weeks now. Uh, Each time, the Israelites wait until the last possible moment, and then they cry out to the Lord, you know? Uh, And so they're right back on track here. They're doing exactly what we should be expecting them to do by now. Um, and so the Israelites call out, the Israelites call out to the Lord, uh, and God sends a prophet and the prophet says this, uh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Now, this is where God's grace truly steps in because he doesn't just say all that. He doesn't just, he doesn't just uh, critique them for what they've done. He doesn't just say that and then leave. Um, <laughs> he doesn't just be like, hey guys, you really should have listened to me. This is all the things you did wrong. All right, I'm out of here, you know? But rather he stays because he is a good, gracious, and patient God. And at this time, he sends the angel down, and the angel's job here is to raise up a new judge for Israel. And if you haven't been with us, these judges, they're not um, the gavel-wearing, robe-wearing judges we're talking about, but rather military and tribal leaders of the Israelites that God would raise up to save them from times of oppression. Now, uh, chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, let's dive into the text. It says that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, uh, that, excuse me, the in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Uh, now, just, just a little side note there. The fact that he was doing it in the wine press, that he was threshing wheat in the wine press, that was literally just so he could hide from the Midianites because um, that, that wasn't usual. Just a little side note there. Um, verse 12 says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now here we see Gideon immediately come in with doubt, like literally right away. He comes in with doubt. He says, if God is with us, then why in the world are we suffering so much? 
Well, the prophet of the Lord just said to him why. They're suffering because although the Lord brought them out of Egypt and did all of these things for him and has been faithful time and time again, they decided not to listen. They decided to disobey him. They decided to go after the gods of the very people that are oppressing them. But the angel of the Lord goes on and he continues with his message in verse 14. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Here he goes again. Uh, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So here Gideon is, just like I was with my dad. He's just like, uh, actually, God, <laughs> um, I don't know if you know this. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm the weakest, or my clan is the weakest among the clans. And not as only does it say that, but uh, I'm the weakest of the weak. They're at the bottom of the barrel, and I'm at the bottom of that barrel. That's what Gideon is saying right now, right? But, um, <laughs> and you know, at this time, I really do want to just point fingers at Gideon and say, just do what the Lord is telling you. It's God. He's telling you he's right, you know? But I can find that I definitely do the same thing sometimes. If I pointed fingers, I would 100% be a hypocrite. Uh, you know, think about the story with me and my dad. I would always say, you know, hold on, dad. Uh, you know, this may have been how you guys did it back in the day, but this is new school, you know? Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. But um, I would make excuses. I'd say, you know, I don't know. I'm not that skilled or qualified to be asking for these offers or making these demands, you know? But my dad, in his wisdom, was saying, I'm telling you what to do. I'm telling you what's going to work. But still, I want it to doubt. Guys, when God tells us to move, it's imperative that we stop making excuses for ourselves. But you know, the good thing about God is that he's God. I would have lost my cool with Gideon at this point. I would have lost my cool, but the Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you. He didn't lose his cool, but rather he comforted Gideon and he reassured him saying, I'm right there by your side. So Gideon is listening. He's hearing the words now. He's hearing the angel of the Lord, but he's just not really sure if it's God, right? So in verse 17 and 18, uh, he goes ahead and he says, Gideon replied, oh, excuse me. So, yeah, 17 and 18, sorry. It says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back uh, and bring my offering and set it before you. So Gideon left and prepared a meal of goat and bread without yeast and some broth. Uh, and he brought it back to offer to the angel of the Lord, right? And then uh, the next verses say, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread. That just means uh, it's not risen bread without yeast. Uh, the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat with the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized what it was 
or excuse me, that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So, uh, really, Gideon really wanted the Lord to prove that it was him. So he said, uh, God, if this is you, then show me, right? And so the angel of the Lord performed a miracle, and Gideon was now sure that it was God. Now, he was so sure that it was God that he began to fear for his life because he thought that he looked upon the face of God. Now, Gideon is, uh, is likely thinking about the scripture, the words of Moses in Exodus that says, humans cannot see me and live. Um, so he's not just scared for no reason. Uh, it's part of scripture. Uh, and that's why he was kind of freaking out like, oh God, I've seen your face. You know, he thought he, thought he was going to die. Um, but anyways, we see that Gideon is very doubtful here, but the Lord is continuously gracious about it. Excuse me. Wow. <laughs> um, so on to your first table discussion questions. Uh, first of all, have you ever had an experience where you doubted your parents or an authority figure and learned from it? And the next question, is it ever okay to doubt God and why? <laughs> all right, guys, let's bring it together. I wasn't going to ask this one to the group, but um, apparently I just had an experience where I doubted somebody and learned from it. <laughs> So this group right here, <laughs> this group right here, uh, I was like, oh, you guys are done with your questions already? And they were like, well, it's not our fault that you didn't ask open-ended questions. <laughs> um, and so, you know what? I learned from that experience, and that's true. Um, but let me ask you guys this. Is it ever okay to doubt God? Raise your hands, and why? One Squash, is it okay to doubt God? Okay. Okay, who else? Is it ever okay to doubt God? I'm not giving you guys candy. Just raise your hands. Hayden? Mm. Others, is it ever okay to doubt God? Leaders, you guys can answer this too. Will? Sonny? Anyone else? Is it ever okay to doubt God? Katie? Mm. Mm. All right. We got two no's and two yeses. Raise your hands if you think it's okay to doubt God. Wow. Raise your hands if you don't think it's okay to doubt God. Okay. So not everybody rose their hands. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but um, guys, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that I think it's okay to doubt God. I'm going to tell you guys right now, that it's okay to doubt God. But listen and listen closely because here's what is not okay. It's okay for us to doubt God, but it is not okay for us to do nothing about that doubt. Think about all the examples of people in scripture who have doubted. There, there are two big examples that stand out in the New Testament to me. There's Thomas, who is often referred to as doubting Thomas, and John the Baptist. You could really call Thomas the realist because he just wanted to see to believe. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Side note, that's just gross. I don't know why want to put his hands there. Whatever. Um, but he said, unless I put my hands there, unless I see and I feel the physical wounds, I'm not going to believe. Now, 
for John the Baptist, it was, a, it was a really different story. John had lived his life in complete service to serving the Lord. He was so subservient and somebody that I admire so much. But even he began doubting after hard circumstances came into his life. He found himself sitting in prison for doing what was right and standing for truth. And in prison, he began to have doubts. So he sent two of his disciples to to Jesus and asked, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? In his doubt, he was questioning if Jesus was actually the savior that he had believed in. But in both instances, Jesus didn't respond with disgust. Jesus didn't respond by telling them how wrong they were for doubting him or by making them feel embarrassed or ashamed. Instead, his response helped them to grow and to fix their doubts and, or excuse me, it helped them to to grow through their doubts and to fix the missing elements that they had in their life. Thomas needed to see to believe, so Jesus showed him his hands and, and, and his side and told him, go ahead, touch the wounds. Again, disgusting. Um, (laughs) And uh, John the Baptist just needed to take some time to remember. Jesus sent back the two disciples to tell John, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Remembering these facts resolved John's doubt and strengthened his faith. So doubt can actually be an extremely beautiful thing when it is handled with resolve. And when it is handled um, correctly, doubt can, can lead to tremendous growth in your faith. Young people, especially those who are coming out of high school, they begin to take everything that they've been taught and make decisions based on what they what they have and they start to really make everything that they've learned throughout life their own this transition time offers a lot of opportunity for doubt to go ahead and creep into their lives but this does not have to be a bad thing if you speak up about your doubt and you seek out answers it can actually be a process that'll help you grow tremendously and you know what Many of those people who doubted, many doubting Christians are now serving faithfully in the church today. You guys think I've never doubted? Because I haven't. I'm perfect. (laughs) No, just kidding. I've doubted before. And I'm here, standing here, proclaiming the word of God to you right now. But it's not through my power, but through the Lord. And I believe that God uses our doubts to strengthen our faith, (laughs) which we're about to see right here in the life of Gideon. So just a, a little recap on the rest of chapter six, uh, because we're just for the sake of time. So Gideon sees that it really is the angel of the Lord because he now believes. So he uh, built an altar to God there and called it the Lord is peace. And now that Gideon believes, the Lord instructed him to go down and tear down his father's altar to, uh, to Baal and another God. Um, and in the same place that he tore down the altar to Baal, He was to build an altar to God there, the God of Israel. And on the altar, uh, he was to take one of his father's bulls and sacrifice it to God. Now, Gideon did this at night. So in the morning when the people saw this, they were furious. There was an altar to, to their God there before. 
right? And then they wake up in the morning and there's this new altar to this new God. They were super angry. They investigated it and they found out that it was Gideon. And, 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 and this is just to show how bad the idolatry had gotten in Israel at the time. It was so bad that they wanted to kill whoever it was that had torn down the altar to Baal and resurrected an altar to the God who had taken them out of Israel. The very God that they were just crying out to for help. That's how bad idolatry had gotten. Now Gideon's father, he kind of saved him uh, by saying that if Baal was a God and didn't, he, he wouldn't need anyone to fight his battles for him, right? Uh, and so by God's grace, Gideon was spared and he came to be known as Jerubal, which means Baal fighter. Um, and so now Gideon, feeling confident in the Lord and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he blew a ram's horn uh, and the Abyssalites all rallied behind him. He sent messages through all of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, and uh, they all rallied behind him. These are all tribes that are coming to rally behind him and, um, and fight against the Midianites. So he now had an army of thousands of men, thousands of men that God was going to use to deliver Israel. And that is exactly what they needed, right? Because remember in verse 5, it says that it was impossible to count the Midianites or their camels. So by now, Gideon has to be done doubting. It, clearly, he's done doubting, right, guys? I mean, he's seen God move and has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's seen how God has spared him from the wrath of, of these people and the foreign God. He saw how the angel of the Lord consumed the bread and the goat in the flames with the tip of the staff. And he saw how God literally just gathered an entire army for him. So, I mean, he's got to be done doubting, right? Well, let's, let's just keep reading and find out, and hopefully I don't get angry here. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's, let's keep reading. Like I said, today we have a lot of text, guys. Um, so verse 36 says, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece and the thresh, or excuse me, on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand. And, and excuse me, by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, God. But let me just make one more request. Allow me one more time to test uh, with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with, with dew. At this point, I'm annoyed on behalf of God. <laughs> Literally, I'm reading this chapter and I'm sitting here like this. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm literally sitting here like, Gideon, come on now. You know, the Lord, first of all, the Lord made the, uh, the fleece so soaked that it filled up a bowl full of water, right? And then he was like, ah, you know, God, I know you just did this thing. Let me just ask one more time and see, right? And um, it sounds silly from the outside, right? But isn't this exactly what we do with God? <laughs> God... I feel so convicted to share the gospel with my best friend, but is it really you? Just give me a sign, you know? And uh, when God gives us confirmation, we want to ignore it. Come on, guys. And uh, I'm no different. 
In fact, I, in fact, let me let me use an example from my own life. I have a good friend named Quint. We used to be really good friends in high school, all throughout college, all of that. Um, and I really felt the Lord just calling me to to share the gospel with him. Uh, I felt the Lord just calling me to just share with him, right? So I, I remember I was like, hey, man, let's hop on the game. Uh, we played a few rounds of Fortnite, and afterwards we were... <laughs> and after... Okay, see, look what your booze did. <laughs> so we played a few rounds of Fortnite, and uh, afterwards... Uh, I was ready to talk to him, but the opportunity just didn't really arise, which is okay. You know, it doesn't always arise. And so I'm just like, well, maybe God wasn't just pulling on my heartstrings for that. Um, but I keep feeling this conviction from the Lord. Um, and so a few months actually go by, and Quentin and, Quint and I just haven't talked in a while. A few months go by, and I'm feeling this conviction still. And um, <laughs> he, we haven't talked in a while. And out of nowhere, he starts liking some of the old messages that I had sent him on, on TikTok just way back in the day. And I'm just like, man, it's just like, God, are you sending me a sign? Should I go talk to him about the gospel? And then I'm just like, nah, that's, that's not it. That's just a coincidence, you know? And then, guys, this actually freaked me out, this part. So not saying you guys should have TikTok, not saying that I do have TikTok, but I do have TikTok. And so you guys know in TikTok, there's like a search bar that like shows you what is popular there. And it just shows like popular things that are popping up there. Why did Quint's username pop up on there on the search bar? That actually, I was just like, all right, God, you're definitely telling me to reach out to him and try to have a gospel conversation with him or a spiritual conversation rather. Um, and so just all that to say that we all fall short sometimes. I've definitely been one to fall short. Um, <laughs> so just our next question. And for the sake of time, we're not going to, oops, actually, yeah, there we go. <laughs> for the sake of time, we're not going to do a table chat, but let's just talk to each other. How do we know when God is speaking to us? Anybody? Yes, Landon. It aligns with what the Bible says. That's a wise man. What else, guys? Aaron. You said God wouldn't say something that he... That you wouldn't know. Okay. How else? How do we know that the Lord is speaking to us? Leaders, you can answer too. Yes. Mm, God is indeed a God of clarity. What else? Let's get a few more. How do we know that the Lord is speaking to us? Yes, Alan. Not something that you would do yourself. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that that's a really good one. But you know what? Here's, here's just a few ways that I, that I can really tell. I know the Lord is speaking to me when he gives me confirmation. He gives me confirmation. Sometimes it'll be through other people. Sometimes it'll, or other uh, leaders, mentors in my life. Um, again, it aligns with what the Bible says. Alan, I really like that one. It's not something I would normally do on my own. But you know what? If you're confused at all, Guys, go out and seek godly counsel. That's why you have leaders. That's why you have parents. That's why you have pastors. And Lee, Christina, don't, don't ask me. I'm just kidding. You can always come to me. Um, but that's why we're here for, um, that's why we're here, <laughs> is to be able to help you guys. All right? So seek out godly counsel uh, if you're confused about it, the Lord is speaking to you. All right. 
So here we go. Again, a lot of text. So just bear with me, please. Uh, Judges 7. Early in the morning, uh, Jerubal, that is to say Gideon, and all his men camped out in the springs of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Mareh. Uh, the Lord said to Gideon, uh, you have too many men. I could not deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Uh, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who, from those who kneel to drink. 300 of them drink from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest of them got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with 300 people that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Now, to me, this sounds a little crazy. Gideon started off with an army of 30,000 people. That's why I have it so big there. I had to write it out because as I was preparing this, I was like, that, oh, that's ridiculous. 30,000 people was how big his army was. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> excuse me, 30,000 people. But you know what? God said, uh, that's too many men. And I would have been like, hey, hey, hey God, uh, <laughs> you know, it's impossible for us to count our enemies, Right let alone their camels. I would have been like, God, you know, we've been brutally oppressed for, uh, for years, right? Uh, you want to send, uh, you send ha- most of our army away? I would have said, God, you know that 300 is not enough men, right? But I guess Gideon had gotten over all his doubts right here because uh, when the Lord spoke, he did it. And um, now God told Gideon exactly why he was only giving him 300 men. He was giving him 300 men uh, so Israel couldn't say, oh, we did this by our might and by our power. Um, but rather they'd say, wow, the same God that delivered our ancestors has delivered us today. And with only 300 men, God is so good. And you know what? Um, up there, that's the 300 right there to put it in contrast to the 30,000 up here. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just continuing. Whew. So God, so God said to Gideon, you know what? Anyone who's scared can leave. And so 20,000 men left, and I definitely would have been one of them. <laughs> um, but 20,000 left, leaving 10,000 men. And you know what? That's still a sizable army. Um, and so God looked down to Gideon, and I'm sure Gideon was just like, God, not again. Come on. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, Gideon took the men down to the water, and he separated them by the way that they drank, leaving him with only 300 soldiers from the initial 30,000. Again, in my human mindset, I cannot even fathom this. <laughs> but you know what? It says in Matthew 19:26, it says that Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, 
it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. You know what, guys? God wants to remind us that he's the only one that's deserving of glory. Uh, he's the only one that can, uh, that can do all of these things. Humanly, we cannot do it. He'll deliver us so that he gets the glory. And then we get to share what he's done with others and tell them about his glory. And we're not always going to understand it. In fact, it's important that we don't always understand it. Because if we did, we could have done it on our own. And uh, we'd begin to depend on ourselves and forget that we need God just like the Israelites do. So, continuing on. During that night... The Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I am going to give you into your, I'm going to give it into your hands. Uh, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their, uh, their camels could no more be counted than the sand on a seashore. Uh, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon returned to the camp of, Israelite, of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. So basically, Gideon was sent down to spy on the, uh, on the camp of his enemies. Uh, and he would hear something really encouraging. So he went down and he heard a dream uh, that a man had of a loaf of bread destroying the Midianite camp. The man's friend quickly said, This has to be referring to the Lord and to Gideon. And uh, now for some reason, this lights a fire under Gideon more than any other thing that the Lord has done so far. I just think that's crazy. The angel of the Lord literally appeared to Gideon, but he doesn't take the Lord seriously until a guy has a dream about a loaf of bread. I mean, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> Personally, that's just not me. Um, <laughs> but this lights a fire under him. So he runs back to the soldiers in the camp and he says, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. He divided the men into three groups. Uh, all of them had trumpets and torches and empty glass jars. Then Gideon told them, hey guys, go ahead and do what I do. Follow my lead, right? And so Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that uh, were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as, as they fled. And uh, lastly, uh, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to uh, Beshethah. Uh, towards Zariah, as far as the border of Abel, excuse me, uh, Abel Mehala, uh, near Tabath. Israelite from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers through the hill of the country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them, 
as far as Beth Barah. So God brought confusion amongst the enemies of Israel. He had 300 men. I really want you guys to think about this. He had 300 men defeat an army of an uncountable amount. The Midianites began to turn on each other, and they eventually had Israel wipe them out. So what can we take away from this today? One is that doubt can actually be a sign that you're growing closer to God. As you grow closer to the Lord, you're naturally going to have more questions. But you guys have to make sure to get those questions answered. The Lord is gracious to those who doubt. Two is that we have to follow through when God says. When the Lord speaks, we have to listen. It seems like Gideon used every excuse not to move. And he just kept asking God for more and more confirmation. So if you're not sure that God is speaking to you, guys, seek out godly, seek out godly counsel from your youth leaders, from your parents, and from, from us, from Christina, Lee and I, we would love to talk to you guys seriously. And we may not always have the answers, but we'll dive into the word together. And another way to know that, uh, to know that it's God is that God will not ask you to do something that is against him or the Bible. And lastly, is to know that God answers our prayer, or God's answers to our prayers don't always look like how we want them to look like. Guys, if Gideon didn't trust the Lord to deliver him with 300 men, he probably would have lost a lot more soldiers in that, or he probably would have lost a lot of soldiers in that fight. He also may not have even been delivered from the Midianites because of his disobedience. So as the band comes forward, I just want to close with this verse. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you're a God that is gracious when we doubt. I think you're a God that will help us to learn and grow from our doubt, Lord, and will help to push us forward and to elevate us even when we doubt. Father God, I thank you that I thank you that the answers to our prayers don't always look like what we want them to, because otherwise, Lord, it would not be your will. So Father, I just pray today that your will be done in each one of our lives. I pray that as we depart from here, that we don't depart from your presence, um, but rather, Lord, we'll continue to be in relationship with you and seek after you with our full hearts. God, we just thank you for all that you're doing in this ministry. In your mighty name we pray, amen.